Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. A couple weeks ago, I found myself, my wife and I went to a family member's wedding, and we're there in a really hot, sun-scorched field, and uh, we're kind of between the wedding and the, the reception. And so I'm standing there with, with Pastor Zach from West and his wife. And, and we're sitting there and she's putting sunscreen on the back of his neck. And he turns to me and he says, man, I freaking love being married. <laughs> and they're like, they're newly, they're newly, him and Aaron are newly married. But I remember that like newlywed zeal. But then I said to him, you know what, Melanie and I almost 17 years later still say that. And in fact, the novelty necessarily isn't the same, but there's a depth of love in our relationship that we didn't actually have when we first got married. And 17 years later now, it's, it's actually, it's harder at times, but better than ever. Can anybody who's been married for a little bit relate to that? Like the depth of your relationship, you've worked on it over the years, and now you have something in your relationship that's even more substantial than when you first fell in love. I've learned, and you probably have learned this as well, falling in love is really easy. Being married isn't easy. It's, it's a, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And some people never actually learn how to be married. Their relationship actually never deepens where they learn how to relate to one another in a healthy way that brings about the flourishing that marriage really can. I don't think there's any deeper or better human relationship than when a marriage is done right. You know, I love my kids, but my relationship with my kids is different than my relationship with my wife. There's a voluntary submission that happens with your spouse that no other human relationship is like that, but it's akin to your relationship with God. But I've learned that relationships, intimate relationships especially, are very difficult. And we now live in a time where, like, relationship in general is struggling. Have you noticed? We live in a world of, like, relational bankruptcy. I don't know if it's just the, co like the, co like the coalition of, or the correlation of the times or the digital age we live in or social media or the things that are going on globally and economically. But we live in a time of relational fracturing and dysfunction, perhaps at a scale of which that we've never seen in human history. I mean, people have always fought each other, tribes and nations and wars. But now we have an ideological and a generational fracturing and integration that is happening that is unlike anything we've seen in the world. And I mean, just, just one glance on social media and your head will start to spin at the level of relational dysfunction we live in presently. Have you noticed? I saw this meme the other day. Someone types me, I prefer mangoes to oranges. Random person in the comments. So basically what you're saying is you hate oranges. You also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruit. Educate yourself, I'm literally shaking. Does that sound familiar? I'm triggered. We live in a time of like immense emotional and relational fragility and, and immaturity, don't we? And you want to believe that that's carrying into our lives. I mean, you not just see the stats on marriage, more people are being divorced than ever before and less people are getting married than ever before. You see relationships fracturing in families. I think one of the things that the COVID-19 pandemic, I can't even say it right, the COVID-19 pandemic revealed is the relational fragility that all of us actually carry. 
Anybody notice that in your family, perhaps? All of a sudden, you're divided over masks and vaccines? I thought we had blood. It, it revealed some of these relationship problems that we have. And so when we come into this conversation about relationship, we struggle with human relationships, don't we? So how are we supposed to relate to God, the Holy Spirit? That's the question I want to ask today. I'm not going to spend a ton of time and we're not going to get into deep weeping or anything like that. I want to give you just a relationship framework. You know, my wife and I had the benefit of having some very good premarital counseling, which has helped us to this day. It set our expectations properly. And that's what we do as, like Pastor Dan does a ton of marriage counseling. And he's trying to help set the framework of expectations so that you're set up to succeed. And in a similar fashion, I want to do that today for you as we sort of come to the close of this season where we have been seeking the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture today, and I felt prompted to read the whole thing even though I only need a verse. I'm going to read 30 verses because it was just too good not to read. And I felt a prompting of the Spirit, and one of the things we're trying to learn, and we'll get to this in a minute, is just to listen to those little nudges. And I felt to read this over us in faith, maybe even that the Spirit wants to deposit some stuff into us that I'm not even going to address in my sermon. Is that okay? So at all of our locations, can we stand for the reading of God's Word? And I want to read this. Can you get in the posture just to like, whatever posture for you says, I believe your Word is true, God, and I'm saying amen over my life. And I'm saying amen over this church. And I want to read this to us. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your Word in Jesus' name, let's read Ephesians chapter 4. Troy's going to bring it up on the screen, and you can follow along. These are the words of Paul, and he's giving insight into the totality of the Christian life. If you ever want to kind of crash course in what your expectations on following Jesus should be, Ephesians 4 is a great place to start. He says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, you're getting the idea, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, say us, us, grace has been given. As Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That is a whole thought we don't have time to unpack, but is incredible. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Watch this, verse 13. This is the goal over you, over all of us. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just, just let that sit on you for a minute. Some of you are a new believer. Here's the end goal. That you attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. You will be like him fully. And how many know he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it? 
He started it. He's building it. He's going to finish it. Say, I'm going to be like Jesus. Oh, Valley doesn't believe it. Wes, say, I'm going to be like Jesus. Say it again. I'm going to be like Jesus. All right, I don't have time for these side trails. Here we go. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up grow up into him who is the head of that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely, You heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Just feel the weight of that? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. To his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And verse 30 is where I want to stop. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is God's word. Father, speak to us now. Equip us, help the the words that you've given me shape our minds, our thoughts, and our expectations until we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul gives this master class exposition of what it means to be in Christ and to follow him. And the whole book of Ephesians does that. And then he starts dropping just like in tweet form advice, like don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't steal. That's not good. You know, work with your hands, contribute to others. He starts giving just advice and as, as he can do at times, sort of start to get all over the place. And then he kind of brings this word that I really want to center in on for the purposes of our series. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit through whom you are sealed. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In, in, in essence, Paul is saying this whole thing hinges upon your ability to relate well with the Holy Spirit. And some of you might not have ever thought about this before, but you and I have the power to actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to grieve? It means to offend, to push back, to to cause grief. Did you know that you and I, as believers, have the power to bring barriers and offense to God the Holy Spirit? That he has come towards us and wants to build a relationship with us. But a lot of that relational, that relationship is actually contingent upon our ability to operate with him in a healthy relational manner. 
and that you and I can short circuit the fullness of life that Christ wants to do in us simply by not relating well to the Holy Spirit. And so it would probably behoove us to talk about for a few minutes what does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit in such a way that we relate to Him well and we don't cause offense, that we don't push Him away. How many of you know it's very easy to push someone away, even when you don't mean to? And the same goes with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You and I can do better or worse at relating to the Holy Spirit. Now, by grace, you have been saved. Aren't you grateful that the floor of this whole conversation is the shed blood of Jesus, that you're going to heaven someday? But I'll tell you what, there are levels to how well we relate to the Holy Spirit. Not everyone does it as good as each other. The same way that you look at one marriage to the next, they can be different and one can be healthier than the other. So can one believer's marriage to God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit be healthier. And so we want to talk about that for a few minutes. We've been talking about that for several months. We have been saying in this in-step season that we are now like, this is my eighth message on the Holy Spirit. We went back in June. We talked about who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then for the last several weeks, we've been talking about learning to live in step with the Spirit. We've been saying this about living in step with Him, that the quality and the durability of our lives, you want to bring that slide up, learn to live in step, learn to walk closer. The quality and the durability and vitality of my life is the sum and the substance of my ability to live close to Him. And a lot of it has to do with how well we have learned to relate to the Holy Spirit. So today, I want to give us a relational framework. Just a kind of a grid of expectation on how you and I should be thinking about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to do that, and I've got a, I've got a bit of a chart for you. Let me give, it, let me give you the categories first on, on how we're going to learn to have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk for a few minutes. I'm not going to take a long time today. I'm just going to give you this content to help you navigate your relationship. How do we relate with the Holy Spirit? How do we respond to the Holy Spirit and how we release the Holy Spirit? In other words, how do we relate to him? How should we think about him? How should we respond to the truth of who he is and how should that affect how we live and move in the world today? Does that make sense? Okay, because my chart might not. I'm hoping it will. It made good sense to me in my mind. But now as I get looking at it, I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, you are not the spirit of confusion. Help us out in Jesus' name. Three cheers for charts. All right. All right. I I thought this might be helpful because I just, just to kind of lay it out there on how you should be progressing in your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. So how do we relate with the Holy Spirit? How do we respond to the Holy Spirit? And how do we release the Holy Spirit? How do we live this out among others? Does that make sense? Are we clear? So like all the directions, vertical, inside, outside. All right, we got that, we got that down. So how do we relate with the Holy Spirit? First, how should we be thinking about the Holy Spirit? What is the ground floor of our relationship? The first way we need to be thinking about the Holy Spirit is this is Lord of heaven and earth, King of the universe, God Almighty. This is the way we must approach the Spirit first and foremost. Grounded in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. With with reverence, awe, and humility, we come to him. We think of him not as junior God, not as JV God. The Holy Spirit is not like the, the crazy cousin or the crazy uncle at the family. We learned this back in June. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Fully God in all of his attributes. He's the same as God the Father. He's the same as God the Son. They are three distinct persons in one. And so when you think of the Holy Spirit, 
it is very important that we don't come to him and we, we belittle him. Or we think of him as less than he actually is. Now, we will always think to some degree of God as less than he actually is. Unless we have a revelation of Jesus Christ. But it's really important that if you find yourself being flippant and crass and loose with your idea of who God the Holy Spirit is, you are on bad footing. It says in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does that mean? It means that the framework of your relationship with God, the, the, the foundation of your relationship with God begins with reverent awe and fear. This is God we're talking about, y'all. This is God Almighty. It's incredible. And this needs to be stated because it's easy to take something like don't grieve the Holy Spirit, a command like that, and to chalk that up like he's malleable, optional, like he's this weakling that we can kind of take or leave. That is not who we're dealing with. Just because he's meek does not mean he's weak. And just because he's infinitely patient with us does not mean he's infinitely deserving of our full attention. So we're talking about God. The fear of the Lord is the key to the entirety of the Christian life. And when our relationship with God gets short-circuited, you can almost always trace it back to a, a fault line or a crack in the foundation where you aren't taking him as seriously as he deserves. Has anybody noticed that? You trace back sin and dysfunction in your life. It ultimately roots back to an idea of God you had that was just not God in all of his godness. And if there's health coming into the church and health coming into your life, it's going to begin by a fresh revelation of God, the Lord most high. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, high and exalted. And my response wasn't neat. My response was, woe is me. This is God, almighty creator of heaven and earth who holds the universe in his hand. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. All things are for him and by him. He holds things together by the word of his power. This is who we're talking about here. So when you think about God, we think about, it's critical that we think about him as Lord and King. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite Christian thinkers and pastors and authors, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God as the most important thing about us, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains, a high or low thought, entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church, that's you, that's me, is always God himself. And the most pretentious or important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. This line is huge. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only for the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So right now, our church is ultimately reflecting who we think God to be. Your life is ultimately reflecting who you think God is. You, by some secret law of the soul, are operating within that framework, whether you like it or not. And you can look around every human being this is true of. To the atheist, their life looks like someone who does not believe there is a God to be taken seriously. 
Are you catching what he's saying? So when we talk about God, it's critical that we talk about him as Lord and King. And what will happen is, let's go to number two, how we will respond to a revelation of God. If God really is the Lord of the universe, what is the only appropriate response? Humility, isn't it? Reverence, obedience. You will respond, so it's critical. You understand the Holy Spirit is the Lord and King of the universe, God Almighty, and our response is reverence, obedience, submission. He is the master, I am the servant. He is the creator, I am the creation. He gets to say what goes. He gets to determine where I go. He gets to to dictate what's true and what's not. He gets to draw the lines. He is God, amen? And so our response has got to be reverence. And here's one of the things you're going to find as you learn to walk and listen to and relate to the Holy Spirit. He's, he's often throwing little tests of allegiance your way. Have you ever noticed that? Just will you listen to me because I said so? Will you do what I said just because I said so? Not because of what it's going to accomplish, just because. Has anybody noticed that? You've been following Jesus long enough to have a test come along. I had one just the other day here at the church. God asked me to do something, and I proceeded to start to walk away. And then just, again, the conviction of the Spirit, where I felt the Spirit say, am I God or not? Will you do what I say or not? And I turned around and was obedient. I don't always win that battle, just so you know, and neither do you, so don't judge me. But this is ultimately where the rubber meets the road. Do we believe what he said? We often feel, and let me just just expose the lie that robs us as Christians. We often feel we have more margin to deliberate and to negotiate with the word of God than we actually do. Can I just let that pop? If you find yourself negotiating with God, you aren't seeing him as God. Get it? If you find yourself deliberating over what he told you, you're seeing him maybe as a parent that you don't have to take that seriously, not the Almighty. There will come a moment when God reveals himself fully. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, even hearts that are against him. If you saw him for who he is, you would involuntarily do whatever he asked just because of who he is and his innate worth. So when we, off, when, we, when we feel this freedom and we don't see him as God, we don't take him seriously. I was just talking to a friend just yesterday, and she was telling me about a family member who is like kind of getting pulled into some heresy, I guess. I would call it heretical teaching. And what do you do when someone is getting pulled into heretical teaching? And there's lots of churches that don't actually trust the authority of this word. And what we can't do is get in and tell them they're wrong. What we have to do is pray that they have a revelation of God and all his godness that they see Jesus as Lord because only when you see Jesus as Lord will you take his word seriously. Amen? So this whole thing is is girded in the framework of a great and awesome God that we humble ourselves and we serve. And how does that convert into how we relate to others? Well, it helps us operate. Let's go to the next one. It helps us operate in authority. As Christians... We, we pray big prayers, and we expect God to move in big ways. Why? Because it's rooted in the fact that we believe God is God, and he can do whatever he wants. Amen? That's why we pray for healing. We're not magicians. 
We're not healers, but God's a healer. Amen? So that's why we pray in faith and we believe that God can do things. That's why we pray for supernatural provision. That's why we believe that even the most hopelessly lost and bound individual can be found and healed and restored and set free. Not because we're healers, not because we're saviors, but we know who is. So the right response to the person who relates to God in the fear of God and reverence, I find the most Faith-filled, big, bold prayers are the people who have an idea of a very big and powerful and awesome God. There is a direct connection into the way you express your faith, into how you perceive God to be. A lot of the time, my God and your God is too small. And so God has got to become great and big and awesome We have to relate to him as Lord and learn quick obedience. And when we learn quick obedience, it develops into confidence in who he is. And we start to operate in authority. Look what Paul said. to He said uh, he's trying to give the Ephesians this, this understanding of who they are and what's going on here. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which... He has called you the riches of his glory inher- glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He said elsewhere, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are ambassadors. We get to go and walk in the authority of Christ in our lives. That should blow your mind. The power, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. You see, if you have a real concept of how great and awesome and mighty and powerful God is, all of a sudden the powers and principalities and struggles that you and I face every single day don't become quite as massive upon us. Do you notice that? Like sometimes I need to remind myself that the economy is not on the throne, Jesus is. Right? Like that's where the battle is won and lost. Like who, who do you believe is in charge of the universe? And a lot of the time we let the troubles of our day, we let the doctor's diagnosis, we let whatever it is creep into that central space. But if you and I are not going to grieve the Holy Spirit, we've got to guard that throne and say you belong here. Amen? So this is where it starts. Are you with me? All right. Hopefully we're not confused yet. Let's go. Now, next step. We're going to step deeper. We're going to take three steps into deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. It begins, the first step is you're dealing with who? God Almighty. The fear of the Lord. Reverence. When he asks you to do something, do it. It's not rocket science, is it? Like, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Those are words to live by, y'all. Has anybody found that to be true? West, Halifax, Charlottetown, these guys are quiet. Takes longer if you don't talk back. Just saying. (laughs) Number two, we need to move deeper and start to see God not just as my Lord and King that I need to to respond to appropriately. but We need to start seeing him as, as a benefactor, as our blessed rewarder. That God is not only God, get this, God is good. Woo! You know that God deserves your obedience whether he did a darn thing for you or not? He deserves your obedience whether he did one good thing for you or not. Why? Just because he's God. But here's the, here's the crazy part. God isn't just God. God is good. 
And he, I, I loved, those of you who were here at the valley, uh, Jeremy shared something about God taking so that he can give more. That's who God is. God only takes things from us that take things from us. He wants to return to us more than we had in the first place. God is good. God is a blesser. And that is, that is even true of our whole lives. I know some of us who are going through deep grief right now. We've got so many loved ones in our church that have passed recently or going through terminal cancer. And we get really caught up in the, in the, you know, the finality of our own mortality. And we forget the fact that even when God takes a life, he returns it to eternal life. When we step out of this life, he gives us what is better. That's why Paul goes into lengths talking about, no, this is the shadow. The true is yet to come. The more is yet to come. God always gives more. He is a blesser. That's who he is. And here's a simple fact. You will learn if you listen to who God is and you, you are obedient, you will find that there is blessing in obedience. And you will be trained to be expectant that if I do what God tells me, good, it's going to go good for me. Has anybody learned that to be true? I know people that don't even have a deep and intimate relationship with God, and, and we're going to get to that in a second, but that just do what he says, and they experience fruitfulness and vitality in a way that some people don't. And it's almost like borderline superstition. But God is so faithful to his word that if you put his word into practice, you will bear fruit. Has anybody learned that to be true? The psalmist knew this. The whole psalm, the whole book of psalms starts with, blesses the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take the seat to sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I have seen and I have witnessed people in our own congregation that prosper and they prosper because they fear the Lord and they've learned that if I put God's word into practice, it bears much fruit. Has anybody discovered that yet? Some of you are brand new believers and you're just learning that, you know what, this is a lifestyle and we need to start building up our lives. What you're going to learn is as you are obedient to him, there's blessing in obedience. The same way some of you have kids and you know that when they do well with what you've given them, you're motivated to give them more, Correct? It's the same way with us and God the Father. As we steward well what he's given us, he, he gives us more fruitfulness. That's how it works. God is God and God is good. And when you start to realize that God is good, that if he asks something of you, it's actually not for his good. It's for your good. Here's, here, here's an incredible news flash that you can take to the bank. You have nothing that God needs. That should just, I just set someone free. Like, well, I guess God needs my money. They just asked for the offering. You have nothing that God needs. And he's actually not interested in your begrudging submission. He wants you to learn that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is why the writer of Hebrews, let's bring that scripture up. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what you're going to find as you relate to the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you into places that require faith because your faith and your obedience and your trust is the only thing that you really can offer him that he doesn't presently have. And he's going to constantly lead you into that place of, do you trust me? 
And the more you start to trust him, the more you find that he actually leads you into those places of faith and trust because he rewards those who diligently seek him. Has anybody discovered that yet? Like, I've learned that. I, my wife and I, we started, we started tithing 10%, a full 10% when we first got married, and we've continued that on to this day. And I'll tell you what, I have learned to expect a return on that investment. We give 10% and we give beyond that as well. And I have learned that as I give and as I obey and as I trust, I am under a covering of his favor that I wouldn't be otherwise. Does it always mean that I have, I have more money? No, sometimes it means I have 10% less than I would have. This is not, I'm not prosperity preaching. But I am saying that when you are obedient to do what God asks you, and 10% is just, it's a benchmark of obedience. But when you do what God asks you, it's, it sets you under the favor of his pleasure. It's like, ah, oh, there's a son and daughter I can trust. Because they trust me. And I know they'll listen to me. So if I give them more, I know they'll do with it what I ask them. And I have learned that. I've learned that in church involvement. I expect an ROI on my investment and my time here. Not just because I'm on payroll. Like we, we fight with our kids just like you fight with your kids to get them in church. Why? Because I expect an ROI on that in their life. I, I want them to love Jesus more than I want them to be above average at hockey. Or whatever. Sorry, did I step on a toe there? No, it's, it's a tough thing to manage. And we've got to, we've got to learn how to do it. My parents, I think, I think they're here in this service. I played competitive basketball. They managed that really well. But they never let me believe that, that sports were more important than God Almighty. Even though I missed the odd Sunday to go dominate in basketball. But anyway. <laughs> Just joking. It's that Fredericton coming out of me there. I expect an ROI. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. When you, when you, learn, when you learn that Jesus is faith, you, when you learn that he's a blessed rewarder, it, it, it sends you into this place of living in faithful expectation. I know that as I've trusted him, he is going to reward me. I, I, I want to say that with the authority of Scripture. God is a rewarder. The Holy Spirit is a rewarder. And he's leading you into incre increase. Bear much fruit, Jesus said. Those who remain in me will bear much fruit. Fruit. Jesus once said, and, and oftentimes we get this twisted, he said, um, if you want to be my disciple, you must count the cost. Does everybody remember that scripture? Count the cost. And a lot of the time our heads go right down into, oh no, what's it going to cost? And it is going to cost you something, but he literally wants you to do the math. No, count. Just the same way you're going to do an investment. Expect a return on this. He's saying, test me. Follow me, and you're going to see that this, in the marketplace of life investment, there's no return like giving your life to Jesus. It's pretty good, Pastor Brent. Thank you. <laughs> number, 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 number three here, or number two. The third number two. Are we confused yet? <laughs> how, so how does this, how does following the Holy Spirit and relating to the Holy Spirit, not just having reverence for him, and not just having faithful, or having faithful expectation, how does this flow out into your life? Here's what I have learned. That the people who are the closest to God and they trust the Holy Spirit the most in real time are the most generous people you will ever meet. When you know, I know God and I know he knows me. And I know he protects me and provides for me. And when you know that and you're confident of that, it sets you free from clinging to worldly attachments. 
Has anybody learned that to be true? I, I know this because I've served this church for a long time, 17 years almost. The most generous people are always coincidentally the people who are most in tune with the day-to-day heart and relationship of God. It just, without fail, because they've learned, I can be generous because I know my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not worried about it. We got a term around here. Uh, we say, I, we know the baker. And it came from an analogy about like, if, if you have a pie and someone wants a piece of your pie, we're not scared to give them a piece or the whole pie. Why? Because I know the baker in the back. And he can make me more pie. Has anybody learned that to be true? I have seen God provide for us. You know, I've, we're not rolling in dough, but I've never, never not been provided for. He always gives me not just enough, but more than enough to live. And I have been set free increasingly. I'm, I mean, again, I fight it just like you do. But the more I follow the Holy Spirit in my life, the more I find myself detaching from worldly, clinging to worldly things And trusting him more and it sets me free. My wife and I consider it a badge of honor that about 50% of the years that we've been living together and tithing, CRA flags our charitable giving and we are under review. I'm out here breaking their system. Like nobody's that generous. Yo, yeah, yeah. No, it's not not that's like a like a humble brag. No. It's it 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 actually is very countercultural. To, to live real generous. And even like if you, let's not get too political here today. I don't want to get canceled again. But if, if you look at some of the people that champion social justice and mercy, they aren't generous. People who follow the Holy Spirit sure are. People who know the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a friend of the Holy Spirit and be stingy. Tweet that. You, you can't be a friend of the Holy Spirit and be stingy. He, he, he's the spirit of freedom. So why on earth would I be bound to my money or bound to my RSP or bound to the stock market when I follow the Holy Spirit, who is God Almighty? I, I'm going to move on. Let's look at the scripture. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He wants to take you beyond, oh, God said I have to give to the church, so I guess I better give. He wants to move us deeper into relationship with him. Not just God is God, but God is good. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to what? Oh, say it. Bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the lifestyle to which you and I have been called. And that is the product of, of relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as you grow in, in relationship with God the Holy Spirit, you will inevitably learn that God's pleasure comes when you give cheerfully. When you serve other people, when you give of yourself, it reaps blessing and reward. There's blessing in obedience. All right, last one. I told you we'd be quick. I hope this framework, does this make sense? You see, like I took the lines out because it looked a little confusing, but like, does this make sense? Okay, okay. All right, I don't, I don't do charts very often, so it's probably not even a chart. I've got some, like, Troy, the engineer back there, is like, technically, that's not a chart. That's whatever it is. 
Number three, and they're all in there, so we'll, we'll break it down. God wants to move us relationally. Here's the relational expectation. He wants to move us from seeing him as Lord and King. That's fundamental and foundational. Step two is not just that God is God, but God is good. And step three is even deeper, and this is the space that the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you in. It's beyond just the blessing and reward of knowing God into friendship and intimacy with him. Holy Spirit, just, just communicate this to our hearts because it doesn't really make as much sense in our heads. The Spirit of the living God wants to know you and he loves you and he actually longs to be loved by you. Like Let, let this just land and, and hear the invitation over your life right now. The Holy Spirit is seeking your friendship. That should like undo you a little bit. I remember I used to, when I was in college, there was a song called, uh, I am a friend of God. Remember that one? Anybody in church long enough? I found myself the last couple weeks, Pastor Jay and the worship team have been doing some throwbacks. And I found myself saying, you know, they just don't make music like they used to. <laughs> it's like, it's like 20, all the stuff that I like is 20 years old now. I saw something the other day online that said that uh, those of us who have kids right now, you know, like my kids are as far removed from Nirvana and Pearl Jam as I was from the Beatles. <laughs> Feeling old. But there's a song in college called, I am a friend of God, he calls me friend. And I, I, didn't, I didn't like that song for the longest time because I was still trying to work out God in this space which is appropriate, quite frankly. And the, 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 the grandeur of this and the overwhelming nature of actually writing this down and saying this is true loses all of its meaning and footing if it's not grounded in this. But I, I remember really struggling with that song, I'm a friend of God, because I was still working out like God needs God's godness in my own life, but... Over the last 20 years or so, I've learned, I've learned this to be true. That God Almighty calls Brent Ingersoll his, his friend. That it's not just philosophy or a love letter or a map. It's not just like ideology, but the person that created the universe, the high power over all things, the one who formed me in my mother's womb, like calls me his friend. I know for some of you, you're probably not even ready to hear that yet, but there's some of you that that's rattling in your spirit and you hear the invitation of God to say, I want to know you and love you and walk in this life with you. That should blow your mind. And then after you, you gather yourself, you should be motivated to, what more incredible friend could you have than the Holy Spirit of the living God?
who would never steer you wrong or abandon you. And this is ultimately where he wants to lead us into friendship and love. And this is ultimately what the cross is all about, isn't it? You know, if God just wanted our allegiance, he didn't need to die on the cross in our place. He could just reveal himself fully and all of us would hit the deck. Right? Or he could threaten hell and just put a gun to our head and say, worship me or else. But he didn't do that. Or if God just wanted us to, to obey him, he, he would incentivize us so much that we would see him like some cosmic vending machine and just constantly keep coming to him to get what we really want, which isn't him. But he didn't do that. He sent his son who took upon himself the sin of mankind and died our death in our place so that we could come near him. And so that when you see the great love of God in Christ Jesus, it causes you to love him back. That's the mystery of the cross. Like, think about it. It says in the scripture that before the foundations of the earth, Christ was crucified. God knew he would have to win your heart. Isn't that unbelievable? And so the cross is the place where God demonstrates his unimaginable love for you, so that when you see it, your call, your, your cause, the cause is to respond in reciprocated love. John, the beloved, the disciple that Jesus loves, said, you know, see what love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. Look what he said later in his letter. He said, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God, loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that what? He loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, friends, we, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's bring back that graph, Troy. So the response, when we see what love the Father has lavished upon us, the response is reciprocated love. And what happens is we start to walk. You know, there's a, there's a, a part of that word, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How many know it hurts you when you hurt someone you love? Has anybody ever experienced that? Like if you're a parent, you, hurt, you actually said something that cut your kid a little too deep. It hurts your heart. Why? Because the economy of our relationship is love. The space that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into is a place of intimacy and love where you are aware of how he feels. And so when you're obedient, it's to, it's to please him and love him. That's, that's the economy of the relationship that God wants to have with you with the Holy Spirit. It's built on love and it's founded in his blood on the cross. The cross is the grounds for our relationship. The cross is the lens through which we see God and relate to him. The cross is the power in our relationship to intimacy. And the true response to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are the same, the true response that you and I need to have in our relationship is love. 
love. The Christian life is relationship with God fueled by love for God and from God. That's the air we breathe in how we relate to the Spirit. And what happens is when you know God loves you, I'll be done in a second. In fact, uh, Sandra, come on back and play some keyboards to let everybody know we're landing the plane. But when you know that God loves you, it makes obedience easier, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like when you know that God is for you, he's not going to ask something of you that will bring harm. This is why Paul said, he said, um, how much more would, would he who did not spare his own son also along with him graciously give us all things? The Father has already given you the most precious thing in the universe. There's nothing more he can give you. So when you know how deeply you've been loved, it frees you up to be obedient. It frees you up to trust him, doesn't it? I can trust God because, well, you can trust someone who's willing to die in your place, can't you? <laughs> right? Like if, if someone's willing to take your rightful death upon themselves, I would say that qualifies them as very trustworthy. The cross frees you up to do that. The, the cross gives us confidence and courage, knowing that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us and will raise our mortal bodies and that we too will have an inheritance that can't rot, perish, spoil, or fade. See, when you know you're loved by God, cancer can't steal, can't steal your courage. When you know you're loved by God, losing your job cannot steal your, your peace. It can't. This is why Paul talked about a peace that surpasses understanding, because he, he knew, he knew God. The love of God draws us into loving him and then ultimately loving others. You know, one of the things I've found when I, when I have been operating and flowing in partnership with the Holy Spirit, I always end up loving that person. Like, like times I've prayed for people here at the church or met people out and about and the Spirit just does something, I start to share in the Spirit's love for that person. That's why a Spirit-filled church, when the church is full of the Spirit, it's full of love for one another and, and disunity and division has a really hard time operating. Because if I love the Holy Spirit, He's going to cause me to love you really well. And so I say, come Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence as a church. Fill us with an awareness of your love. Fill us with a love that overflows, not just in confidence and peace, but a love that overflows into generosity and grace for each other. Would you stand with me? I want to pray. I just feel the Spirit even right now. I just want to pray. Uh, I just feel to pray over your relationships with Him, and we'll, br we'll bring it in for a close. Lord, what a mystery that we should be called friends, sons, daughters. You are Lord of all the earth.
earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Lord, even right now, open our eyes to just see you as high and exalted. And even as we get a revelation of your great and awesome splendor, would we see emanating from who you are, your unimaginable goodness. I just pray over my brothers and sisters. I pray over King's Church even. Lord, that we would be people that know your greatness and we know your goodness. That you are great and greatly to be praised, but you are always good to us. And Father, even as we've spent two months talking about you, Holy Spirit, even as we've spent this time, I pray that we would come into a place of friendship with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear your voice? Would you open our eyes to see in the Spirit? Would you give us your eyes to see other people and see world events and see the news through your perspective? And Father, I pray you'd fill us with your love and kindness that will motivate us to repentance, to holiness, to generosity, to courage and faithfulness. Fill us with your love and your presence and your person that would overflow into fruit. I pray God again for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon King's Church and upon the church in Atlantic Canada. We just say, we want more of you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that over my brothers and sisters here, Lord, we pray that this would be a spirit-filled church and a spirit-filled people who know your voice, who pray big prayers, who see you move in their day-to-day life, who are faithful in the valley and faithful on the mountain. I bless, I bless you, King's Church, in Jesus' name. And I call you into friendship with the Holy Spirit. This is your relationship with him. If you receive it, say amen. 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 Amen.